people just like bought us a kitchen. So I guess it's like <laughs> here, here and there, but I'd rather see my husband. It's getting, getting, getting a little better. All right, morning everyone. See everyone here. All right, yeah. Um, if you'd like to, uh, so we'll start um, our morning here together. Uh, we have uh, a call to worship. If you'd like, we can uh, read this together. <clears throat> you guys have the green part. <clears throat> <clears throat> have you ever felt washed up, brittle, worn down to the bone? Have you ever felt grief lay heavy on your back? Have you ever felt like hope was out of reach? Have you ever wondered, can these bones live? If you have, then you're in the right place, for this is God's house. Hope lives here. So come. Rest your weary bones. Let us worship the holy God. Come and adore him. Come, let us worship at his feet. Come bow before him, come and see. Come and adore him, come let us worship at his feet, come bow
we have some uh, confession um, reading here. Thank you. Friends, there is nothing that we have to keep hidden from God, not our anger, our grief, or the ways in which we have fallen short. In confession, we speak honestly and are met with grace. So let us not hold back. Let us bring our full selves to this prayer, knowing that God is already running to meet us. Let us pray. Prayer of confession. Jesus of Nazareth, you can pray with me. I confess, I forget that you know this feeling. I forget that you too have wept. I forget that you too have lost. I forget that you too have gathered at the tomb, have grieved for a friend, have felt the sting of humanity. Forgive me for all the times I place blame on you. Forgive me for all the times I create distance, imagining that you could never feel what I feel. Forgive me for allowing the valley of dry bones to be a sea of space between us. Pour yourself into the cracks of my heart. Bring these bones back to life. Bring me closer to you. With gratitude, I pray, amen. Friends, you could spend your whole life ignoring God, pushing God away, or trying to solve the world's problems all on your own. And God would love you still all the same. Even in our shortcomings, we are God's beloved. So hear and believe this good news. We are saved by grace through faith. We belong to God. We are not alone. All right, if you guys would like to stand, let's sing this one together. This is a new one. God is my shepherd, I won't be wanting, I won't be wanting. He makes me rest in fields of green, with quiet streams. Even though I walk through the valley, Death and dying, I will not fear, cause you are with me, you are with me. Shepherd's staff comforts me, you are my feast in the presence of enemies, surely goodness will follow me, follow me in the house of God forever.
God is my shepherd, I won't be wanting, I won't be wanting. He makes me rest, fields of green, quiet streams. Even though I walk through the valley of death and dying, I will not fear, because you are with me.
right, you guys can have a seat. Good morning, everybody. Uh, so my name is Sam, and I'm here today to lead us through testimony time or story time, just a time when you can share anything, anything that you've seen, um, got it working in your life, big, small, something you feel compelled to share. So if you have a story or just a sentence even, raise your hand and I will come on over to you uh, to hear the good things you want to share. Morning, everybody. My name is Jenny Regal. I work here. You don't normally see me in here because I'm usually with the kids. Um, but I had a great experience this week. Uh, for those of you who know me and my children, my oldest and my youngest are both currently homeschooled for different reasons. But my oldest had to be pulled and school was just not a good space for her. And so she's been with me for seven wonderful years homeschooling and just recently she said mom i really want to go to school and i'm like oh i don't know what school is going to be able to to take her so uh we kind of researched and talked to some friends um she's been recently diagnosed with autism so just trying to figure out like there's not a lot of places that do a really good job with autistic people and i found a school and we went and we had a difficult time at the beginning and she has settled in and for the first time this last week she said mom I love love school so much it is the one place that I don't have to mask and I was like oh my gosh finally so just hearing like she's really enjoying herself she's made friends she's found people who are like her they have her same quirky sense of humor and inappropriateness and they just love it. And so I love that for her. And it was just kind of, it's always a good reminder that everybody really just kind of is looking for that place that they feel like they can show up and not mask. And so, you know, even as a staff member here with working with the kids, it's like a constant reminder of how are we gonna be that safe space that everybody can show up here and say, I love this place because it's the one place I get to show up and I don't have to mask. So just kind of a challenge for us to say like, there's a lot of quirky people in this world that just want a safe spot. And so um, church just show up, welcome in the quirky. It's okay if people are of inappropriate sense of humor, they're just trying their best. So make space for everybody guys. Amen, we love that. Any others? Good morning. My name is Ed, and um, I stand a witness to the glory of the Lord. Um, <laughs> he uh, redeemed me, oh, probably three and a half years ago, from a, from a life in which I was using his gifts and his talents for my own ends. I was a lawyer, I still am, uh, but I was a lawyer for four years. I had a very successful legal career. I owned a home on the ocean in San Diego. I owned a home on Glen Lake up north. And that was how I defined myself. 
And um, because of that and that attitude and that idol worship of money and places, I ended up getting divorced. And um, as part of the divorce, I took those homes away. And um, at the moment, back in 2019, when it was time to sell the house and I just didn't want to, he put me through something. But I realized and came to realize and appreciate the men who were in my life. And those men I've, I've known since I moved up to Glen Arbor in 2017. So he called me back to Detroit. He called me back to the school I graduated from. And so I am a volunteer in the campus ministry department at U of D Jesuit. Um, so this week, our department had a had put on a, a, a program for the juniors in the school about what their senior year was going to be like. It was on Wednesday, and it was all day Wednesday. So I have another life in which I help a really good friend of mine with her design business. I'm sort of the business manager, um, but I don't work on Wednesdays because I'm at school on Wednesdays. And of course, on Wednesdays, my phone was blowing up. It was, you know, this has to be done right now. This has to be done right now. This has to be done right now. And I was not happy, uh, to put it mildly. And I sent some very caustic texts back. And, you know, within an hour or two, the Lord had kind of made me aware that he put me in this woman's life and he put her in my life so that I could support her and help her with what she's doing. And if she needs that, she needs it. And if I have to say, I can't do it right now, then I need to say that, but not the kind of things I said. Um, and I, and we, we talked through that. And then of course on Friday, something goes wrong at the business and I've got to deal with it and I don't want to. And I leave having to, you know, probably at four o'clock to go to a service we're having at school for the community um, during Lent. And again, I mean, I'm in my car and my sister calls me from Hawaii. That's where she lives. And um, also a good Christian, but she calls me to say, hey, I've been talking to mom and what do you want to do for your birthday? This is a question I hate the most in my life. I, d I don't do, plan something, have something, surprise me, whatever. I don't want to hear that. And so I, go, having gone through what I'd just gone through with my friend in Lake Orion, and then being in the car and trying to drive and trying to get to school, and I'm late, I'm behind schedule, I start getting more texts again from my friend about, we need to do this, and we need to do that, and you need to call these people. Hmm. And I, and I wrote back, well, that was a great mic drop. How about, hey, Ed, I, I'm, I'm praying for you as you go to this prayer service tonight. No. Anyway, I go to the prayer service. I'm all wound up. Um, and the prayer service is very settling. It was a very peaceful and meditative prayer service. But rather than join everybody afterwards for dinner, I went home. So... I have this great group of men that I met in t probably 2015 up north. They're from a very small church up there, 
and every Saturday we get on the Zoom and the, these guys gather live and there's people from a lot of different places who participate in a men's Bible study. And we are studying First Samuel and we are in chapter 12 and this is the moment when there's a conversion from judges to kings. And Samuel has to accept the fact that he's no longer the political leader of the Israelites, but now Saul is. And he knows this is going to go horribly bad. And the Lord knows it's going to go horribly bad. But the Lord said, okay, we'll give them what they want. And there's a, there's a point in, in chapter 12 where he says, I will pray for you. And it was like he hit me in the head with a two-by-four. Because that's my job. That's one of the ways I can support my friend. It's one of the ways I can support my sister and my mother and everyone else. And here I am carping about how inconvenient it is that I get a text while I'm driving in my car. And so I, I witnessed to these guys about what happened this week. And somebody pointed me to Ephesians 1, verse 18. You know, I will pray for you that you, the eyes of your heart are opened. And they were. So, praise the Lord. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing. Anybody else? Oh, we have somebody on Zoom? Good morning, church. Can you hear me? Um, I just wanted to give praise and thanks this morning because God is so, he's so good. Um, we had Bible study on Friday. We normally have Bible study, but we decided to do something a little different this week. We had um, a game night and we met together and we had food. And so it was just kind of a time of fellowship and communion. And there were six adults and there were six children, but in the middle, we carved out time to pray and to um, just acknowledge who Father was and who he is in our life. And we all read scriptures, everyone read scriptures and the children participated. And there was this moment where I paused and I was just grateful that here are these children who've been, who are used to coming to Bible study and they just joined in and it wasn't a big thing. It wasn't um, a big change for them. They just joined in and, and read scriptures together with us. So I saw Father in that moment and his movement and his, um, his meeting us where we are. So I just wanted to give thanks and praise. <laughs> Not on. There it is. Hello. All right. Any others? Thank you, everybody, for sharing. All right. All right. All right. Let's sing more song.
Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Genesis. We're so glad that you're here with us in person and online. My name is Jerry Gaskell, and I have some announcements for you. There's quite a few, so bear with me. Um, first, if you would take a moment to let us know that you're here by either filling out the digital um, connection card on our website or the physical green card that's in your pew. If you're new to Genesis, text new to Genesis, all one word, to 94000. That's new to Genesis to 94000. You can place the physical green card in the box at the back of the sanctuary there. Um, this is also where you can place your offering if you've brought it with you. And thank you to all who continue to give online or through text. We are going to be eating together on Sunday, April 2nd. I know, it's exciting. <laughs> um, this meal will look a little bit different than our other meals in the past, and it will be a bit more special. It will also be a meal before Kyle Movius' memorial service, and Kyle is uh, Ryan and Bethany Movius' brother, who died tragically. We as a church are hosting their friends and family, uh, well, friends and family of the Movius family. Their family is from the area, so there could be a, a number of people more than what we're used to having at our lunches, which will be great. Um, Please plan to stay for the memorial service after the lunch to really support and surround the Movius family. Uh, if your last name starts with A through M, please bring a main dish for our lunch. And if your last name is N through Z, please bring a side dish for our lunch. We have Holy Week coming up and you're invited to participate in all of the things that are happening here at Genesis during that week. Uh, first, we have Stations in the Street. If you're familiar with stations, the Stations of the Cross, this will be uh, similar. The Stations of the Cross began as a remembrance that pilgrims had when they were retracing Jesus' final steps in Jerusalem up to the hill where he was crucified. Wanting to share that practice and experience with people who couldn't make the trip to Jerusalem, they created local stations of meditation that became in itself a tradition. You can find this tradition on the inside of many churches still today. So we are setting up 12 stations in front of our building on Main Street over here. As the name depicts, Stations of the Street. Please plan to come and engage this ancient tradition of walking the final steps of Jesus. This experience will be in place for the entirety of Holy Week from April 2nd through the 9th. And this is something that you can do alone or with a group of friends or family. And each station will have a QR code that you can look up with your phone uh, with a guided meditation. And we will also be offering some times and dates that someone will be here uh, to guide people through that. April 6th is Maundy Thursday, and we will have materials available for you to take home and participate uh, with us in that way at home uh, to do on your own. On April 7th, it's Good Friday. We have a couple of things happening here on that day. Uh, we have a Good Friday family event from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., and then we have our Good Friday service at 6 p.m. on Good Friday. 
And our Easter service on Easter Sunday will be at 10 a.m. As, as usual. We will be celebrating baptisms on Easter Sunday. So if you have been considering getting baptized, um, you can do it on, on Easter Sunday. Uh, if you would like more information or have any questions, you can find Bo after the service or, or get in touch with him some other way. And lastly, <laughs> uh, it is time for the middle school students to go do their thing. And for those of us that are staying here in the sanctuary, take a moment to say hello to those around you. Good morning. Good morning and happy Sunday. So, last Sunday we said on April 2nd we're eating together. In the announcements, we really said next week, April the 2nd, we're eating together, and today is not April the 2nd. And uh, three people said, Bo, we, you said the right date, but it's not next week. You should say something. I'm like, absolutely, I will. You know what happened. I forgot immediately. And so if you brought food today, like Jesse Miller, um, we can throw it in the freezer. We can, right? we, can, we can bring your vegetarian spaghetti back up. So if you did, God bless you. And um, it will be put to good use. So thank you. So that is next Sunday, April the Sunday, April 2nd. 
which is the start of April, and it's also Palm Sunday. So glad you're with us. We're in a series called Seeking. It's our, it's our Lent, and there's lots of questions, and every day we're putting out a question on our digital calendar that you can go through. Um, and today we're looking at John 11. And so one of the questions last week that I referenced when reading the scriptures is, it, it's a big question when you're reading the scriptures, but this question is like, why was this included? Why was this story put where it was? And why is it still relevant today? Why is it here? And so the story we're looking at is one that's only found in the book of John. It's the only person to tell it. And so we're asking that question, why? Why is it here? And so uh, I want us to, we'll read this story together. And I feel like I've got one statement and three questions to try to answer that. One statement and three other questions that go along with why is this story here for us? And so with that, before we read, let me pray. So Father, open our eyes to the beauty of your revelation. Open our eyes to the story that is more beautiful than we realized. You are a good teacher, and you know how to guide us into truth. You know how to do it for every one of us who's coming in with different storylines, contacts, and realities. And you teach for our good. May we have ears to hear, and may we have eyes to see. Amen. So John chapter 11, verses 1 to 45. And so the, it will be behind me on the screen if you want to follow there. If you want to read along, you certainly can. If you want to get out your phone and look at it, you can. But this is John chapter 11, 1 through 45. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. The disciples replied, Lord, if he's asleep, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was also known as Denimus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles away from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. 
Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I know that even now God would give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said. He's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but he was still at a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had been with Mary in the house comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept him from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha, the sister of the dead man said, by this time there's a bad odor for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. The story goes on from this point to be kind of um, a tipping point of all the signs and the miracles that Jesus did, at this point, and from this point in the story, everything is pointing towards Jerusalem and Jesus' death. From this point and from this miracle, all the religious leaders begin to plot and say, he has to die. We have to kill him. And the story begins to progress towards that direction, immediately following this one. So why was this story included? And so one statement and three questions. So here's the first. This story is all about love. It's so pointed and it's so specific and it's in there so right in our face even from the beginning. This story is driven by love. Where does love go? What does love do? But even from the beginning, John is writing in a way of saying, Jesus loved him. And even the request in verse 3, 
Oh, come, the one you love is sick. In verse 5, Martha and Mary and Lazarus, the ones that you love, are here. Love is driving Jesus. This story is marked by love. From verse 3, the one you love is sick. Verse 5, now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And in verse 36, when they saw Jesus weeping at the tomb, their response was, look how he loved them. This should make us pause. Look how Jesus loved them. This story is about love, but maybe it's also, there's a question. Could Lazarus in some way be a stand-in for all of humanity? And this letter begins, this story begins with, the one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. And Jesus responds and goes to him. This story is all about love. If you know the stories of Mary and Martha, and I was, I was listening to a teacher on this, and she, was, she stated that for so often as a young woman, the stories of Mary and Martha, one was good and one was bad, if you know the story. Uh, Mary and Martha were serving Jesus, and one of them was all hung up and worrying about the meal, and yet Mary is the one who's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And the teaching, typically, or the way that she heard it, was like, be a good little girl and sit at the feet of Jesus and learn. You know, and Martha was the bad one you know, good and bad. But yet here is the story of saying, Jesus loved them. Martha, Mary, Lazarus. This story is about love. And I believe the story is for all of us, for all of humanity. Look how he loved. And if we begin to look at it even deeper, we'll see the extent of that love. The story is about love. Question Number two comes in verse four. The first question comes from verse four. So it says, love, love is driving it. In verse four, it's this really interesting statement. When Jesus has heard that Lazarus was sick, the one whom you love is ill. When Jesus heard this, he said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And then it goes on to say, so when the So when they heard that Lazarus was sick, Jesus stayed there for two more days. No, this one will not end in death, but it's for God's glory that this has done so. How how do you read that statement? How do you interpret this? How do you see a part of this story? How we read the story says so much about us, and so many of us have been taught to read. Meaning there's people who said, here's how you read this. Here's what, here's the principle that you can look in this story and see. And one reading is the one that I can remember hearing again and again and again goes like this. From, in this part, is like a, a proof text for that, meaning like, oh, maybe this is it. That God is going to let us get, go through all of our suffering and may even wait and delay it. For that suffering to build up even more. Maybe there's something for us to learn or to grasp. And then in the last minute, we'll swoop in and deliver us from the suffering in order for God to be glorified. 
to get the maximum glory, to get the maximum punch of the story, more awfulness will happen and then God will swoop in and be the good guy and save everybody. Anybody ever heard anything sort of like that? That it's like, now, nah, yep, God is orchestrating your suffering for his glory. This is a very, un, if you read it that way, it's a very unbecoming view of God. And some have kind of worded it that way, that God's glory is the highest thing. So any suffering, anything that points to his glory is the greatest good, and then it's good. But it's an unfortunate reading. It's unbecoming. And that's not what the story is directing to. This isn't a story about how God waits or delays or causes more pain and suffering for God to get the glory and to swoop in in the end. The glory that Jesus is going to get is not by swooping in at the last second of your pain, but it's the glory that he's going to get by going into suffering himself through his death. The word glory means to, to, to raise up. And the glorification of Jesus is going to be him being raised up first on the cross, but the other glorification will be Jesus being raised up from the grave. So this is not a story of God delaying, but this is a God stepping into our suffering and pain by the love of God. This is not a story that Jesus is going to let Lazarus suffer more than God's going to get more glory by swooping in. This is not a story of God holding off and letting people go through more pain in order to get more glory. Now, this is a story that's going to point to God getting glory through Jesus' suffering. And God getting glory through us entering to his death and resurrection. The answer to this predicament of Lazarus's pain and suffering and death will be Jesus' own suffering. That will be the answer. Jesus' suffering. The answer to Lazarus' death is Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection. This is the view of God who will go before us and who suffers for us. One more question as the story moves on. Question number two. So Jesus finally shows up. He gets led out there. He meets Mary. He meets Martha. Oh, they're sad. They're grieving over the brother. Everyone has the same response. If you had been here, you could have stopped it. I mean, everything they had seen from the miraculous that Jesus had done indicated, oh, if you had been here, if only, if only, if only, if only this would not have happened. And they take Jesus to the tomb. And Jesus begins to be deeply moved, vexed. He weeps. So the second question is this. Why? Why was Jesus weeping? Why was he so deeply moved? The story tells us this three times. He shows up, he's deeply moved by the people mourning. He's deeply moved. I didn't hear. But John doesn't tell us why. 
He says he weeps. But the question for us is, why? The answers are many. You could even have an answer for why you think Jesus weeps here. But what a question. Some have used to, to say, well, this is Jesus, part of Jesus' humanity, that this is Jesus' God, but he's also human, so he's experiencing grief. That could be. But I think this tells us more about God than about humanity. Here is a God who is weeping. And weeping with us. Why does he cry? What troubles Jesus? This is a theological statement. One who weeps, paired with compassion and love. Could it be just out of his grief for Mary and Martha and the community? Absolutely. Just overwhelmed by the grief of this moment. Could it be that Jesus is weeping um, from the unnecessary tragedy of death itself? And our bondage to the fear of death. You know, that we're trapped and we're locked into that and this unnecessary, overwhelming fear that Jesus is weeping over. Could Jesus be weeping and deeply troubled um, for what he's about to do to Lazarus? Meaning that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and then Jesus is going to know immediately that Lazarus is a sign, and uh, the people, the leaders are like, oh, goodness, we have to kill Lazarus, and we have to kill Jesus. So could he be deeply troubled knowing the implications of what's going to happen after he steps into this, in the implications of Jesus being moved forward about laying his own life for the saving of the cosmos. Could it be that there's a stench of death and this smell, could it be that Jesus' weeping is connected to that phrase? So when Jesus comes in there and he weeps, and he does so again, if they move him to the, stone, to the grave, and he says, move the stone, and they're like, oh, we can't. It's been four days. It's going to stink. And could it be that his weeping is because of that stench of death, this smell of death that is everywhere and on everything, that Jesus weeps and cries? Could it be that Jesus is weeping over us and for us? That he's weeping over us because the one that he loves is ill. That the humanity that Jesus loves is ill. And Jesus weeps over humanity. Could it be that God cries that all that we have done and about where we are now and how things are? Could it be that he sees all of this and weeps? If you could, would you not? I remember being at Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, and I'd made a friend there named Jacob who owned a pizza parlor called Jacob's Pizza there in the old city. 
And Jacob was not Jewish, and Jacob was not Palestinian or, or Arab or Muslim. He said, he was like, uh, I'm a leftover from the Crusades. So that's who he was. His family were the leftovers of the Crusades, and they had been there since the Crusades for about 700 years. But he was not Jewish, and uh, he was not Arab. And we are like, Jacob, we're going to Yad Vashem. And he's like, why would you ever do that? He's like, you're going to feel terrible after you leave there. Interesting question, isn't it? Like, why would you go to see the atrocity that was committed by some in the name of God against the Jewish people? Why would you go and see what they had collected of shoes and, and bones and tooths? Why would you put yourself into that? I don't know if I have an answer for that, of, of why. Partly to, the Jewish people say it's to, so they would have a name and a place, and that their name and their place would be remembered. Could it be that Jesus is weeping over the story of that, that he is thinking about those men and women and children who died in that way? Do you think that he could be thinking about the men and women and children in Somalia, Saranka currently, that have died from famine? in this last quarter? Could it be that Jesus is weeping over the atrocities of this world, that humanity is sick, and Jesus weeps? And he weeps over us and for us. I think that's a profound theological statement and about who our God is who weeps for us, with us, and over us. I believe God weeps. Just this last week, Linnea Berg, some of you know Linnea fondly. Um, in 2010, Genesis, which was a, a portable church that met over in, at the Berkeley High School, and there was a community here called the First Baptist Royal Oak Church, First, the Royal Oak First Baptist Church, were here, and we felt like the Spirit of God was moving us together in friendship and said, let's go together. Let's, 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 maybe that we think we, our question was, is that God moving us together for God's good and for the good of the city and the good of each other? And we said yes to that. And the pastor at the time who was serving beautifully the people here was Pastor Dave Nichols, a beautiful servant. Uh, if, you, if you knew him, you loved him, a gentle and humble man and served faithfully. Dave retired, and he was a pastor, and in his retirement, he pastored, <laughs> meaning that he continued to put himself in church communities. Him and Linnea moved um, further west a, a, a few years ago, and even when he moved and retired, he was still pastoring churches who lost their pastors, and he would come in and he would serve them. But in the last year, They've been noticing some issues with Dave and his memory. And as of December, he was diagnosed with dementia. And it's been progressing more quickly, more speedily. And Linnea, this is what prompted Linnea to send me and a few others a Facebook message for them. 
saying, he's been diagnosed with dementia and it's, it's moving more speedily. We just want you to know, pray for us. She's fully retired now. He's still kind and gentle, but he's struggling. And sometimes he comes down dressed for church quite often through the week saying, I'm ready to go, even though it's Thursday. And so I believe there's a God who weeps over us and, and for us in our suffering. As we're sad to see the sharpness and the beauty of his mind and his kindness and his goodness to unfold, to see that diminishing. There's a sadness over the illness that many of us have. But the one whom Jesus loves is ill. That's Dave, that's Linnea, that's me, that's you. And he weeps over us. And he joins us in our sorrow. And he comforts us. And next Sunday, we will join with Jesus and Ryan and Bethany and Kat and your dad and your mom and weep over Kyle. didn't know Kyle. But we know you guys. And we join with you in your suffering. Gosh, in this story, we feel like Mary and Martha and everybody are like, Jesus, if you were there, this wouldn't have happened. But Jesus weeps over our predicament of mortality. And we'll step in with an answer of his own suffering to bring immortality. The thing we need and didn't know it. So, why does he weep? May we ask that question? I would again say it begins from that first statement because he loves us. My final question. I was looking for my phone to see, but I put it down somewhere. Here's the final question. And Jesus asked that, his question is this, do you believe me? And do you believe me comes from the statement where Jesus, it's his, his last one, it's his last I am statement that he gives in John. I am the resurrection and the life. And then he asked that question to the ones he loves. Do you believe me? I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe me? And so that's my final question. Do I believe him? Do you believe him? Let me recap those words that Jesus said to her. I'm the resurrection and the life. 
The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And the this in this statement is, do you believe me? And, and not just the facts about me, about Jesus, not these like religious truths, but do you trust that Jesus is our resurrection and our life? This is who Jesus is. Do you trust Jesus? The same thing picks up in verse 38. Jesus once more deeply moved. He came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. The Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad order. The stink, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called out the voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands, his feet wrapped in strips of linen, and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Do you believe? I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. Really saying, what Jesus is asking is, do you trust me? I believe a part of why this story to you believe me and this story is written because we need resurrection and we don't know it we need resurrection and we didn't know it the humanity's greatest enemy is the fear of death that fear of death maybe can be summarized again and i mentioned this a little bit this idea what does that fear encompass I think that fear of death may, potentially can be encapsulated in this way, this fear that you are alone, no one has your back, and there's not enough. Scarcity. That's the fear of death. You are alone, no one has your back, and there's not enough. Yet Jesus comes and says, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm your resurrection and life. You are not alone. I have your back. And there is enough for you so that you would live. Jesus, in some way in this story, is tracing out how far love really reaches. So we're going to trace it out to what point, how, what's the furthest point to where love will go? And this story says, love will even go into the tomb. That's how far it goes. That's how far it can be traced out. How far does the love of God go? Even into the tombs. And so, 
potentially even we go through death, we enter life. And so Jesus is telling us this story as this way to life and kind of says, there's a life for you you didn't know that you needed. There's a life for us that we didn't know that God has for us, an abundant life. And to enter that life, there's a death for us that God has for us that we need. To experience life, to experience resurrection, we must experience death. And the marker of our baptism is that story. There's a death for you that you didn't know that you needed that is in Jesus because there's a life for you that you didn't know you needed that's in Jesus. So part of us in our baptism, we're expressing that. Oh, there's a death for me in Jesus. Oh, and there is a life for me that I didn't know I needed, an abundant life that can only be found in God that eliminates the fear of death. And so on Easter, there's a few people who have already said, I'm, I'm going to be baptized. And maybe you too. Maybe you're like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I want to enter into that life, that fullness of that life, that abundant life. But to experience a resurrection, we must first die. Ed was sharing his testimony about the abundant life that God has given him now. But there was a death that happened first that he mentioned. Not by God's doing. But he, ex he experienced a form of death. You were like this death of this former person whose God was your house in San Diego, which we're all very sad you don't have anymore now that we're friends. <laughs> and no longer lake property. Death to that. And sadly from, as you mentioned too, the, the ending of your marriage. But it was a death to these idols to these things that are bringing destruction, but there was this offer of new life. You, it was a death that you entered into of this former to say, oh, goodness, in order to receive life. And many would look at the life you have now and say, oh, Ed, that's not a good exchange. And you're like, oh, friends, let me tell you the life now. <laughs> no beach houses or lake houses could compare to the abundant life of God's mercy in the restoration of your relationships, the forgiveness that you have shared that has taken place between you and your spouse, the restoration of you and the ministry of God leading you to these boys at U of D, the restoration that God is continuing to do in you as God continues to lead you through death and resurrection on a daily basis. And this is what the story is, this death to ourself, to our own agenda, so that we can experience the life of God. Do you believe me? And Jesus says, I am the life and the resurrection. This is a life you need. And God is moving us from death to life. And so maybe our statement this morning is like that odd one in the middle of this story 
that Thomas, who is known for being the doubter, but yet in this story, Thomas says one of the most profound things in the scripture, a prophetic statement that he doesn't even know what he's saying, when he says, let's go, let's go to Bethany. And Thomas says, let us go with you and die with you. And so when Jesus invites us into baptism and into life, that's what we're saying. Let us go with you. And let us die with you. So we experience your life. And Jesus said, if you want to live, give up your life. And you'll gain it. I believe that there's so many of these themes in the story, and that's why it's here for us. That we could again today, remembering there's an invitation for resurrection and life in Jesus. And if you feel like you're experiencing death, oh, love is pursuing you. And love is driving after you in the person of our God. And God's love begins to weep over you and me in our death and comes with us and whispers, trust me, I've got you. You're not alone. I have your back, and there's enough. Thank you, God, for the resurrection and the life of Jesus. May we take hold of it by just saying yes. And we'll see the fullness of this story and the glorification of Jesus and his resurrection here in two weeks that we'll celebrate together. So at this time, as we close, I'm going to invite David Lindquist, and he's going to give the affirmation of faith. And as Dave reads this, it's a chance for us to read this aloud. So I want to invite you to stand and to read with David. And then as David does the affirmation of faith, he's going to do the benediction over us, the blessing of our, of our seeking with that. If you don't know David, you should. He's a gentle and humble man. He, for those of you who know him, he looks like Jesus. A beautiful picture of Jesus, a servant this man uh, encourages me. He served his family. He served his mother-in-law and his wife, to, both till their deaths. And they experienced a lot of hardship and sickness. And he served them faithfully. And when I saw him, he never complained or grumbled or experienced pity, but entered into the fullness of life. And he had friends and people around him and encouraged him. And he still has friends and encouraging. He has enough. He is not alone. But boy, does he look like Jesus. David is one of my heroes. One of our statements here is that our heroes are among us. Everyday people living like Jesus. He pastors me and he serves me. And so I'm, I love it that he said yes. He didn't know. I didn't know I'm going to riff on about him. But uh, if you don't know David, you should. We're grateful to be part of a community with you and to be part of your family. And so David's going to release us in this. If you want to talk about baptism, 
um, today is the day to let it be known. And so grab me um, after this, and we would love to chat with you. And so uh, would you pray, uh, would you um, lead us out? We will read responsibly. I didn't turn your microphone on. I'm so sorry. And he has a beautiful reading voice. He should have been in radio. <laughs> so let's read responsibly uh, from the screen. <clears throat> we believe that God loves us. We believe that God does, God does not, not give, give up, up on us, breathing new life into tired bones. We believe that God returns to us, always seeking us when we are lost. We believe that God holds hope for us, so we hold unto hope as well. We believe. Help, Help our, our unbelief. unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And now the benediction. As you leave this place, may God bless you with seeking. Seek out the hungry. Seek the weary. Seek the good in every person you pass. Seek out the hopeful. Seek the faithful. Seek God in each of us. As you seek and as you wonder, may you find what you are looking for. In the name of our loving God, who is always seeking us, go now in peace. Amen. Amen. Amen.